Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, welcome to Island Conversations on the radio on Sundays on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and B97B93. Thank you for joining us for the podcast version of Island Conversations, available wherever you get podcasts. Just search for Island Conversations and then you can subscribe to it or you may listen online at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. There continue to be new things learned every day about the novel coronavirus, which causes COVID-19. But one thing we have not talked much about is how COVID-19 is changing healthcare. We will talk about that today. Plus, I have questions about COVID-19 testing, how reliable it is, among other things, and also about antibody testing and immunity. I am delighted to have Dr. Scott Miskovich of Premier Medical Group on the phone. Aloha, Dr. Miskovich. Aloha, Sherry. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am so delighted you're here. And you know, Dr. Miskovich, I know that your bio says you are a family practice physician, but lately I see you as being sort of Dr. COVID-19. You're engaged in testing, both regular testing and antibody testing. I'm just curious about what got you so engaged about this. I started studying this in January very early on. I also have a fellowship in wilderness medicine. I do a lot of traveling and I've done a lot of remote health care. So it's been very much something I've been involved with. And I really was very worried. I started to buy PPE for my practice by the end of January. And I started to send the warning signs out. Then I started to watch what was going on in our state and watch what was going on in, in areas. I had a son at NYU, and he was tired of me telling him to be careful what's going out in the community. Then we started to see our state not really responding the way I think we needed to at the beginning. So my interest started very early, and it was to help the people of Hawaii. I was just concerned that people were not taking it serious enough. And I had enough background and history in this that I wanted to do something with the goal of helping my family, my patients, my staff, who was like family. I have about 110 employees that work for me. And that was the initial start. I do want to talk to you about some specific things, but before we do that, we're recording this interview on Monday, May 18th, and I just saw a press conference with President Donald Trump, and he mentioned that he's taking the drug hydroxychloroquine as a preventive, and this is a drug that actually has had some clinical trials. I'm just wondering what your advice as a physician is. Should we be taking hydroxychloroquine as a preventive? I think the medical community has come back with that answer with a very, very resounding no. There is no evidence that it works as a preventative. The other information is it can cause cardiac arrhythmias, so people can have cardiac issues associated with it. We have had people take it in higher doses and they've overdosed on it. 
It had been used in clinical trials when people were actually in the hospital. It had been used in combinations of other medications. And the bottom line is it just doesn't work. It's already been shown not to work. The other thing that's important to know about hydroxychloroquine, it never was determined to be virocidal. And what that term means medically is kill the virus. It was just supposed to potentially slightly reduce the inflammatory response that is generated in your body once you're infected with the virus. So as a preventative, it makes absolutely no sense. Okay, I appreciate that just because this is a disease that is so bizarre. Every day something new is being learned. And I know people would like to do anything they could to prevent it. So thank you for that. Before we talk about the COVID-19 testing and the antibody testing, when you and I spoke the first time, you mentioned that you see COVID-19 as absolutely changing the way healthcare is practiced, certainly in the country, in the state, but definitely on this island. Could you tell us a little more about that? Well, you know, in general, I'm very concerned just about our healthcare environment in the state. I think everybody knows, especially like on the Big Island, we already had a significant shortage of medical providers. And, you know, we were, what, 20, 25% short, and that shortage was much more pronounced in the neighbor islands, very pronounced in primary care. This has, I think, unfortunately put a selected number of people out of business, or it has reduced the ability for people to ramp back up in their care. Another thing we need to think about is the demographics of our medical community. We have the second oldest demographic of age of providers, I believe it's 58 or 59. 25% of all the medical providers in the state, as of the last data that I've seen, were within five years of retiring. When you put that data together, we now have this massive change where you also have a virus that could be fatal to individuals if they're over 60, 65, 70, 75. And so a lot of these doctors that are practicing are in that age group. It may not be safe for them to continue to practice, and a lot of them may have already decided that it's time for them to move on to retirement to be safe. So we are really going to be facing a difficult transition for a state that was already challenged by the number of providers. Then we're going to see a second issue. We have one of the highest unemployment affected by COVID in the United States, so we're going to have a bunch of people out of work with no insurance. They're going to be trying to possibly get onto MedQuest, so the ability for people to even get covered under health care is going to change the dynamics of health care in the state for a long time. Dr. Miskovich, when you and I first talked, one of the things we chatted about was adding physician assistants to medical practices or having them have their own medical practice. And as you well know, we have the University of Washington MedEx physician assistant training program now in Kona on the Big Island that will turn out people who are certified physician assistants and I believe your own son is part of this class that is just starting. Talk about how physician assistants can work in a practice or as separate practitioners, because it does seem to be a solution for the problems we're having relative to a shortage of healthcare providers. Yes, I made the prediction that one of the things that's going to change in our state since primary care was where we were most short of uh, providers is that we're going to end up with probably 35 to 40, may even go up to 50% of all the primary care in the state will be delivered through physician assistants and nurse practitioners, both fall in the category of advanced practice providers. In our view, as physicians, 
the best thing that can happen is we create a large group collaborative practice. You take everybody's level of training, their expertise, and you come together to form the best option for the patients because one of the keys is access to care. We have a challenge with access to care. I'm hearing it all the time on the Big Island. They can't find a doctor. They can't get in to see someone. Our practice, I have 18 advanced practice providers, you know, PAs and NPs in our practice mixed in with our physicians, and it has been wonderful. I mean, it is the best thing. I've been working with PAs and NPs since the mid-90s, so I'm very experienced, and I was very pleased to help the University of Washington have the program move to Kona since we've been their main teaching site on Oahu for the last five years. So I've developed a close working relationship and have been on staff with the University of Washington and have been fortunate to visit there. Outstanding. Depending on which ranking you look at, it's either one, two, or three in the country with the quality. And it focuses on primary care and it focuses on rural primary care. It is a perfect fit for the Big Island and I believe a perfect fit for our state. I also believe we're going to need more of these programs, not less. So we are producing some practitioners on Oahu, but I do believe we're soon going to have a PA program on Oahu, and we're going to have to keep expanding. That's good news, actually, because there has to be a solution to the problem that we have of not enough doctors. So anything else about that, or can we move on to COVID-19 testing? I think also the physician assistant and nurse practitioner curriculum will also allow them to work in integrated practices with the specialists. The specialists have been using them within the hospitals, and they've been able to work in the emergency rooms under the guise of the emergency physicians. So there are so many different ways they can extend our workforce that it will be a benefit to our state at every level, from the hospital to the outpatient practice, even to psychiatric practices. They're training nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And you as a physician don't feel threatened that your job's being taken over by people who have less training than you but still can provide basic primary care? Oh, gosh, no. Uh, You know, as a matter of fact, I believe that every physician in the state right now is so overworked because we are so behind with the number of doctors all over the state that every good quality doctor should be having patients just kind of knocking at the door. Okay, let's move on to COVID-19 testing. What I'm hearing is a loud cry for more COVID-19 testing. The University of Hawaii Public Policy Center, doctors such as yourself throughout the state. I know Lieutenant Governor Dr. Josh Green has said we need to do more testing nationally. Most health professionals say that, plus the World Health Organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, almost everybody says more testing is needed. And in our state, the State Department of Health says that state and private labs can do around 3,000 tests a day now, but right now we're doing fewer than 1,000. So what's your sense as to whether we do need more COVID-19 basic testing, why there's not more testing being done? What are your thoughts about all this? I think early on, I had significant concerns that we weren't doing enough testing. Hence, I stood up and started to lead a drive-through testing. We've done about a third of all tests done in the state or more have been done by our organization. We also trained a lot of other organizations how to do the drive-through testing, which I based off the South Korea model. I think the private medical communities and the hospitals really stepped up to allow the state to be where it's at right now with the proverbial flattening of the curve. 
And so the amount of testing that is done right now is, I believe, adequate. And here's the reason, because we have such a low viral load in this state. The prevalence of the disease now is so minimal that we, like, for example, our group had drive-through testing this week here on Oahu, plus we had drive-through testing over on the Big Island. Between both locations, we probably did five to 600 tests, and it was a mix between the antibody, which I know we'll talk about, and the antigen test. But we're just not seeing that many people that are sick. And there are not that many people that are sick with coughs or flus, uh, like symptoms or respiratory symptoms. And so, therefore, I, I believe that that's the big issue is there's not a lot of viral load right now. Now, we do still have a major issue with the Department of Health because they're just absolutely seem to be the only people in the United States that are still saying don't uh, try to find asymptomatic carriers. And that is an area where we need to start opening our eyes a little bit more and start to realize that there are people that will not demonstrate symptoms that need to be tested. And uh, fortunately, the private community has just taken it upon ourselves to test for these individuals that have had close contacts or living with positives or have other really high-risk uh, uh, settings that are in high-risk settings that should be tested. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was kind of puzzled when State Department of Health was talking about clusters, for example, and I'll just use the McDonald's cluster here on the Big Island, and saying they were continuing only to test close contacts who had symptoms when everything I've read indicates that you can have COVID-19 with no symptoms. I totally, totally disagree with the Department of Health, as does, I think, the majority of the rest of the state. And fortunately, I believe the rest of the private community that is out there leading testing has basically followed the best practice guidance from the United States and not this, uh, you know, this kind of old and backward recommendation that they're, they're promoting. I mean, my question would be, if we know that 40% of people in, with COVID are, are typically asymptomatic, so does that mean our State Department of Health is saying, oh, we have no interest in finding all of the disease? We have to find those people. I mean, I'm going to share, I'm going to give you a perfect example. Mayor Victorino called me at 5.30 in the morning, the day they had the 15-person outbreak. And I had a team over there just after noon uh, that day, and we tested for the next three days. Uh, Maui had about 200 tests done prior to us arriving. By the time we left this next nine days, we had 2,000 additional tests done. All the positive tests are called by the lab to meet. First nine calls I got from the lab on positives were all nine asymptomatic positives that were working in the departments of the hospital where staff had already come down and were infected. We would have never found those people if we didn't go ahead and test them actively following best practice guidelines. And then you have to realize there's, a, there's something called the r not. That's that R with a little zero. That tells you how fast that disease is going to spread, how quickly it's going to spread. Well, just those 10 people there would have spread it to 2.6 other people. They had no idea. And then those people would have spread it to 2.6 other people. And if we didn't test those in a period of another week or two, we would have had another two or 300 people infected. That's how this disease works. 
So you have to find those people. You have to test all the clusters. I mean, we're very frustrated right now because there's another cluster active in the Kalihi area in public housing. They're talking about going through the neighborhoods with the National Guard. But once again, they're only looking for people with symptoms. That totally, totally goes against what the guidelines are. When you have a cluster of infection, you are to test in a public housing or a homeless shelter or any type of group living environment, whether it be a prison, you are to test everyone, including employees. So I'm just surprised that there's no one calling out the fact that we're not even following any basic semblance of guidelines that's just smart practice to identify the number of people that can be asymptomatic or problematic in our state right now. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking with Dr. Scott Miskovich of Premier Medical Group all about COVID-19. And we're going to get into both the regular COVID-19 testing and the antibody testing. Next week, we'll be talking about Hawaii's elections, which from now on are going to be all by mail. Before we get back to Dr. Scott Scott Miskovich. Let's hear from our terrific sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. How about the accuracy of COVID-19 tests? Just today I heard that on the USS Roosevelt, that was the aircraft carrier that had so many sailors who tested positive, that a number of them who were positive then had two or three negative tests, and now they're testing positive again. Are they getting COVID-19 again, or they have perhaps just never recovered? Are the COVID-19 tests accurate? Help us understand your experience in this. There are many different types of tests that are being done. So for me to comment on the testing on the Roosevelt, there's too many technicalities. The first thing is how the sample is obtained. It is a deep nasopharyngeal swab. You get that swab placed in both sides of your nostril, so far back that you could taste it in the back of your throat. You can also make your tear glands start watering. We have seen, even on our island, watching different people do it, that it's not being performed appropriately. So it all depends on the way the test is administered. Second, it's the type of test they're using. Fortunately, all of the tests we're doing here right now are working with diagnostics and clinical labs who are using the -the state-of-the-art testing equipment. This is done in a GLEA-approved lab with equipment that is the highest-end equipment. So we are getting outstanding results, the highest quality results equivalent to what is going on in the United States. There are these little point-of-care tests that were made by Abbott Laboratories that were just found to be barely 80% accurate. Actually, those are sitting in our hospitals right now, so that would be a concern. There are mail-away tests, which have another story. There are saliva tests. There are tests where you just get a little mucus in the front of your nose. Every single one of those, the accuracy goes down and down and down. Ones we're dealing and most of the people in Hawaii are being diagnosed with are in the high, high 90% accurate. The next question is, when is the swab obtained? It takes five to six days for the virus to incubate. 
your ability to be able to detect that virus is really going to be peaking in that first seven to ten days. So depending on when the swab was obtained, it would tell you what the degree of accuracy is. We do know that there is no evidence across the planet of a second infection with COVID. So it's either the test was being done faulty or the virus never quite went away and was just activated enough again, the same virus to be detected again. Okay. Let's talk about antibody testing. Tell us what it is and why now, and it's not just you, but now I've talked with a lot of the testing centers here on the island. A lot of them are doing antibody tests now. So tell us about them. Well, we won't go too far into the science, but I'll give the listeners just a little overview. The first test we're talking about, that nasal swab, is trying to detect the active virus. That's that ugly-looking thing with all the spikes coming out that we see the picture on. That's what's causing the infection. As I just stated, it's going to be most active to be detected in the nasal pharyngeal area or your nasal areas or even into your lungs within the first 7 to 10 days. After we get out about 14 days, it starts decreasing and decreasing. Hence, we're hearing about the 14-day quarantine. This is the active infection phase. Now, you have two things that your body makes to fight it off. These are called immunoglobulins. The first one we call is IgM. IgM, it's kind of what comes out really early. You hope to have that in the first five days because it's your Marines, it's your strike force that's coming in to fight it. The one we're testing for is called IgG. Now, that immunoglobulin is the one that you want to stay in your body and in your blood for your lifetime. That is the one, like when you got your MMR, your measles vaccine, or that type of thing when you were younger, that is what you get a blood test to see if you're still immune to measles. So that is the one, if this all works out, you will be able to maintain a long-term immunity. Now, the IgG will start to become available to be detected maybe about seven days. The tests find that at 14 days, and in a person with a fairly normal immune system, even a slightly weakened immune system, at 14 days, if you don't have it, then that means you haven't seen COVID. So the serum antibody test, remember, the finger sticks did not and do not work. If you had a finger stick, you need something else because they are not accurate. This is a blood draw, and it's done by a phlebotomist and someone qualified to draw blood. 99.5% sensitive, meaning that if you have it positive, it's 99.5% accurate. It's 100% specific. Specificity means that if at 14 days after the infection or more, you do not have it, it is 100% that you do not have COVID. So this is something we've been waiting for. We've been waiting to have a test to look back the last three to four months and to determine what is the real true incidence? How many people really had it and never knew it? And then what about immunity? That's what we're all hoping. We're all hoping that we don't get this disease moving forward. Well, I've talked to some of the urgent care centers here on the Big Island who say they did have a lot of people who presented with flu-like symptoms in January, February, March. They did not test positive for flu, but of course, at the time, we did not have COVID-19 testing, and I know they're pretty curious. I know you are, because that will tell us how much of the virus really is here in the state, as I understand it. 
You have nailed it exactly, Sherry. That's exactly what we are interested in finding. Our organization has done about 400 of the antibody tests on the Big Island over the weekend, and in our office, we just finished about another 300 over here on Oahu. And then the other thing is Hawaii Pacific Health, and kudos to them, are testing their entire organization. They have up to 7,000 employees, and they are basically already through 3,000. And I believe right now their incidence stands at about 0.6, which is kind of lower than a lot of us expected. A couple of things that I think we need to understand, number one is the community-level incidence. Now, what does that mean? Well, what happens if we take this over to Kona? What happens if the antibody test down in Kona shows that it's 3% positive or 4% positive? Well, that means that something happened in Kona where a lot more people contracted the COVID virus. And then I want another specific. What happens if 20 of them are Uber drivers? Or what about the TSA workers? You know, I'd love to have specific positions within the frontline tourism industry or healthcare first responders and then see what their specific percentages are within their occupation. You don't have to be a doctor to understand how valuable that information would be as we start to reopen the economy. That's kind of what we're looking at doing. And who knows, maybe Hilo will be different. Maybe Honolulu will be different. But that's something we're really interested in with the antibody testing. If we do see a big number of positives, say, in the corner side, because this is also going to talk about the testing penetration. How deeply were you testing? Were you adequately testing at the time that the disease was moving through your community? And that gives us another thing that we need to look at. As you well know, on the Kona side of the island, there was the McDonald's cluster, which had 36 that have been acknowledged. And then Bruce Anderson, who's head of State Department of Health, said there was another cluster of four in one family and another cluster, as he said, of two in one family. Just this last week, there have been additional cases on the Big Island. Don't know where those folks are, but it'll be particularly interesting on the Kona side to see what the situation is, because if you look at the map that the State Department of Health has, it's Kailua Kona, that's the red zone for this. And I know that both Ali'i Health and Aloha Kona Urgent Care told me they are also now testing for antibodies, that you've trained them all in how to do this. Will State Department of Health release all this information about the antibody testing, since they're the ones that do get results from the labs? Um, At this point, the labs are not required to give them antibody test results, from what I understand. At this point, I have basically heard that both Bruce Anderson and Sarah Park don't believe in antibody testing, and they don't believe that it could be used. So we're all just really scratching our heads on that. So they talked about, well, at some point, they want to do some long-term study to look at the prevalence in the state. Well, you know, that's usually going to take them 12 to 18 months. Most of us realize we need that data now. That will be fine. They can do that. They're researchers. That's what researchers will do. They'll look at this, you know, a year or two out. But we're about to open up a state, and we're about to get to a position where we're going to be putting the lives of the people of Hawaii back on the line. And so we really need to know more now. Well, particularly true because we, as you know, have tourists who will be returning at some point. And the initial cases we had were mostly from travel is what we were told. 
it'll be helpful to know how much of this is in the community. And as you say, if a lot of these people who are tourist-facing have it or had it, that gives them a feeling of being able to get back to work. But Dr. Miskovich, how long will it be and how will it happen that the level of immunity is determined? Because that seems to be one of the big unknowns about COVID-19. Exactly, Sherry. And so one of the things when we started testing our people that have come up to the drive throughs and into our offices, it's very interesting how knowledgeable the people are coming up to understand the importance of antibodies. I'm very impressed. What we're going to be doing is, you're positive with antibody, I want to do a one-month, three-month, and six-month. We want to see if you're maintaining your antibodies. This is what the world is asking right now. I don't want us to be the last ones to be doing this. We've been the pioneers in the country for testing. We've been the pioneers with the lowest death rate, flattening the curve. Now we need to look at immunity. And so we are going to recommend doing serial testing on it to see that people are holding their immunity. I do believe that within the next three months, we're going to have so much data coming out of the country and the world that there will be a lot more guidance on the immunity and how much immunity you have. I'm going to give you an example, SARS and MERS. The average immunity that maintained was two to three years after SARS and MERS. What they found is that people did get re-exposed. Hardly anybody got very ill from it. I believe that this phase with the way the world has been turned upside down, we are not going to have any question about immunity because what does a vaccine mean? Why would we have a vaccine that we're all hoping is developed? Well, it's to get that IgG. Here we go, right back to talking about that IgG. When you get a vaccine, that's what you're stimulating your body to produce. So this testing of antibodies is going to be with us and something we're all going to be very fluent to know what our status is. So if the labs are not giving the antibody testing results to the State Department of Health or the state DOH is not asking for it, you're one practitioner, although you are doing a lot of antibody testing, there are other entities that are doing antibody testing. How is the state going to know where we are? Who's going to gather all this data? That's a wonderful question, Sherry. What my feeling is, is I think every medical practitioner in the state would be willing and happy to discuss a unified way to dealing with this data. I also believe there is a single conduit for this, and that is all of this data is being collected right now by diagnostics and clinical laboratories. So it is held in one repository, and I do feel confident enough that eventually once the state gets around to realizing how important this data is, that they will be working closely with the laboratories. Good. That's good to know. Who should be presenting themselves for antibody testing? I would first like anyone who was COVID positive, or if you're a family member or a very close contact of a COVID positive, come in. Because if you're COVID positive, you're a perfect person. We want to study you to see what your antibody levels look like and if you're going to maintain them. I also am very interested to see if your family members or close contacts, if they did not test positive for COVID, actually maybe have enough 
contact with you to develop the antibodies, which can happen. You may not get the disease, but you may have enough stimulus of your immune system to develop them. So that's the first group. The second group is all of the highly exposed people, the frontline healthcare workers or first responders. So we definitely want them to get, and we're getting a good turnout of them, especially in the Big Island. I want all of the frontline tourism workers, anybody who has guest contact. If you were within those social distancing norms or you were within closed rooms, i.e. like you're a bus driver and you're driving people from point A to point B or you're driving the bus for the rent a car and you're bringing tourists back and forth, you're breathing that same air. Anybody that had something that we would now view now as dangerous should be coming in and getting tested. And then finally, you mentioned it earlier, Sherry, we had just the most horrific cough that went around the island from January, February, March, and people were out for 10 or 14 days. And I had so many people that were wheezing that never wheezed and had chest heaviness and shortness of breath, and they were getting fever. Well, geez, what does that sound like? So we want to know whether there was an earlier entrance of COVID into our state because of the enormous amount of travelers that we had coming in here. So all of those people who were sick during that time, please come in and then you can get tested. As far as COVID-19 testing, there's been a lot of discussion about the symptoms on the CDC website you know, shortness of breath, fever, dry cough. I noticed that the State Department of Health on its website has two additional symptoms that I don't see listed on the CDC site, and the two are a runny nose and anorexia or loss of appetite. What's your observation? Have you seen people who have those kinds of symptoms? Boy, this one is one that got my blood pressure up. Early on, when we were the first doing testing in the state, I personally, with all of our positives, called the person back and gave them their test results. And then I asked them very detailed questions about their symptoms, and I continued to call them and follow up and see how they were progressing. With having so many of the first positives in our state that I got to talk to directly, it was so clear that the symptoms were not just dry cough, fever, or chest heaviness. They were any type of upper respiratory infection, from sore throat to headache to runny nose. And then the one that we nailed very early that I started to publish data about it was the loss of taste and smell. And now, finally, the CDC added that one on. We have been following that one internally for over five weeks before because it was such a common symptom in a certain group of people. It was often the 20 through about 45-year-olds that just got a real mild scratchy throat. And I talked to them on the phone, and that goes, dinner time, I was having my favorite meal, and all of a sudden I couldn't taste anything. And it went on for 10 days. It's not just like when you can't taste your food with a mild stuffy nose. It is loss of taste and smell. It is very significant. If you have it and you're listening and you had a cough and cold and all of a sudden you were like, what happened? You probably have a real high chance that you were COVID positive. You know, objectively speaking, this is such a fascinating disease because it has such a wide range of symptoms and a wide range of results where people can have no symptoms and be more or less fine, where people can have mild symptoms or have really, really bad symptoms. So objectively speaking, it'll be interesting to see it studied in the future. Well, the other thing to get into the challenges with this, you know, from an outpatient perspective, I'd hear two types. I would hear someone in the first 15 seconds when I called them with a positive result, and they've already coughed about 12 times. 
it was just the worst dry cough, and they just were going on and on. And then there was the other half, which were, Doc, I just came back from the run. I get two colds or flus a year worse than this. So it was really variable. And, you know, those people with that intense cough, you know, I had two of my patients ended up on ventilators. None of my patients had died from COVID, but one was hospitalized and ventilated for a period of time, another for about 10 days, and another four or five hospitalized and those people were getting the heavy respiratory compromise. So if there's anything that people for why I need to hear from this, when you get that uh, really frequent, heavy, dry cough, it is the warning sign. Those are the people who often progressed. Then when they got into the hospitals, when the trouble started, we have seen so many things that medical providers are just going to study for decades to come where this enormous clotting disorder occurs. Instead of having too thin a blood, people are getting heart attacks and strokes and blood clots and amputations and affecting the kidneys and the COVID toes and the conjunctivitis to the eyes and the thing called cytokine storm where the inflammatory system just in hours will burst with all these cells that are trying to fight infection. We've never seen anything like this in the human body that has been studied medically. Is there anything you would like to add before we say aloha, Dr. Scott Miskovich? I guess I would like to add, Sherry, that you know a lot of people have just kind of looked and said, what did motivate me to do this? And I think it's fair to say I like to take on challenges. Like the lieutenant governor and I chaired the state narcotic policy committee. So when we were seeing that people were dying from overdose and our death rates were exceeding traffic accidents, I just stepped up and volunteered, and I chaired the committee that met for over four years that led to us having some of the best data and best statistics for overdose. Then after that, actually, Lieutenant Governor and I went on to tackle homelessness. So we started the H4 organization that started to address chronic homelessness. Prior to that, I was chairing the workers' comp group. So I love what I do. Healthcare for me is a calling. It's not, uh, it's not a job. And I like taking on challenges, but I also like standing up for the people of Hawaii, which I love, and this is my home, and I did this because I care. Dr. Scott Miskovich, thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha. And a huge thank you to our listeners for being with us. I'm Sherry Brack, and this is Island Conversations. Dr. Scott Miskovich is with Premier Medical Group and obviously is very engaged in all the details around COVID-19 right now. Until the next Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.